Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fifth season, we are looking at Joe Johnston's 2011 film, Captain America, The First Avenger. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And I'm Pete Wright, and I love hero moments. <laughs> Today, we are talking about Minute 71, which begins with Colonel Phillips and Agent Carter stepping out of his tent to see what all the commotion's about, and ends with good old Gilmore stepping out of his own tent to see Captain America and the missing men of the 107th returning to the camp. Joining us on the show today and all week, it's Jonathan and Tabitha Carlisle, the team behind the Princess Bride Minute. Hello, you two. Hi. Hello. Thanks for having us. I was going to say something clever that ties in with the minute, but nobody says anything. So, <laughs> <laughs> No clever quips, nothing. I feel like if there is an opportunity in this next bit of time we spend with each other, if you could work in something about a Hodge's euphemism for stepping out of his own tent, I feel like there's there's real <laughs> money there in, in making that a part of our language. We, he's got to step out of his own tent, Gilmore. The old Hodge Lodge. The old the Hodge, Hodge Lodge. Lodge. Yes. Yeah. Now you're getting it. Now you're getting it. This is very much uh, a kind of a, a walking heavy minute. As uh, as all of these troops appear, I still have the question: Where the hell have all these people been? If it's been, according to the wiki, this you know, I don't know. It's it's a love hate relationship with the wiki. I knew it. Let me just say, I knew it. It would take. Five minutes for Andy to start counting soldiers. I just, I knew, and it's here, it's like 90 seconds in, and he's already counting. The wiki says this is the next day. Uh, you know, according to what Phillips said earlier in the tent when he was talking to uh, to Peggy is that, you know, or when he was dictating his letter, he said the third last week, which makes it feel like, and I mean, I know a week, it could be, you know, Tuesday and, and last week could have been Saturday. So it might only be a couple days, but still it was like 30 some miles. And it's like, you know, a, uh, as we will later learn 400 people <laughs> walking through the countryside and they couldn't find them. <laughs> what is going on? How does this play for all of you? Uh, despite the, the excitement of the hero moment, uh, the logistics of the story, how does that work for, for you two? I'm always um, upset with Colonel Phillips through this whole thing on why he didn't use Captain America in the first place. And so, like, when we were doing the rewatch for this, I'm just like, ah, why didn't he just use him in the first place? Why is he over here <laughs> dancing around fake hitting Hitler instead of being out there fighting with them? And so... I don't know if that answers your question, but <laughs> that's, how I, that's how I feel about this moment. It, it really does, because this is so important, because as Andy's counting soldiers, all of that is wiped away because of your searing hot rage at Colonel Phillips. And <laughs> I think that's just fine. That's he is working as intended. <laughs> I, put, I just feel surprised. Um, I guess I, I don't always pay attention to numbers when they're spoken uh, in the movies. And, and I know that like the, the howling commandos, it's a pretty small group, or at least the characters that we understand them to be is pretty small. So to see all these people walking through, I'm like, Oh, I didn't know there was that many of them. Um, cause I don't know that we ever really see, even when they're released, I don't think we see that many people have been released. Well, we certainly don't see that, you know, it's in the hundreds. Like, I mean, yeah. in the, in the, we get a sense that there were, a, a decent number of people being held hostage uh, there. We, we, I mean, we do hear Peggy say earlier in the film that 
uh, when she and, and Steve are talking, she says, you know, they sent 200 men in and less than 50 returned. So that doesn't tell us if they're alive or dead, but that's roughly potentially 150-ish people that could be in the camp here. Um, later, it's going to be a lot more. So I'm guessing that they also captured a bunch of other soldiers. But still, like when you see them walking here, I mean, it looks like, you know, I mean, maybe a 100, you know, it doesn't it doesn't look that expansive. So it, it's very hard to gauge exactly how many people had been at the camp. Were they rescuing other people along the way from other camps? Like, it's it's not clear. All we know is that, you know, here they are. They've made it back to the camp, and there's a whole bunch of rescued soldiers that they brought along with them. Mm-hmm. Soldiers in World War II were also gremlins, and the forest is very wet. So I think they just <laughs> multiplied, Andy. They just multiplied. Does that fix it? Did I fix it? That makes complete sense. Right? That's all solved. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we've got there. So they're walking in here, regardless of, of how um, how much it makes sense that there's huge group of soldiers with tanks walking through roughly 40 miles to get back to the camp. Uh, despite all of that, um, how does the hero moment play for you? We've got this moment that they come up over the rise of the road through the forest. And we see with Alan Silvestri's swelling music, uh, Steve Rogers as Captain America leading the howling commandos and the rest of the rescued soldiers uh, into the camp. How does that play? I like it. Um, the camera movement, it seems without paying attention to it, it's nice. But then when you do pay attention to it, it's like, oh, the camera's like, moving closer but over the hill so you like they're getting you know they're small and getting bigger towards the camera but then the camera kind of almost i don't know if it actually stops and backs up but it kind of has that feeling of like whoa because that kind of mirrors what all the people are doing Mm -hmm. um the one thing that distracts me is there's when they first come up to the all the all the guys gather at the gate and then immediately start falling back again to make room uh, there's one guy that looks like he's scrambling to find his spot. Um, I don't, I don't know if that's like an actor, like not quite getting it, or but he looks like he he just barely gets up there and then immediately has to move. There's no pause to to recognize what's happening, and he kind of distracts me. Here's here's X one. There's X two. Okay, X one. Yep, X two. Oh my god, everybody yeah. moved. <laughs> this is where you have like you. It would be fun to listen to the the audio from the set where you could hear the first assistant director on the megaphone. Okay, now everybody split. You're gonna go. Then you know you know. Remember, some of you are going left, some of you are going right. Remember your marks. And he's like, oh crap, was I left or right? And he's trying to figure it out. He's like, oh, my marks way back there. And yeah, he's trying to get back to his mark. Got to clear the spot for the uh, for the camera to truck in and and have Captain America and all the troops arrive. It's a great move because the camera, like it does, it moves in and then moves right and up. It cranes up uh, heavily off to the right, and uh, it starts to give you a sense of scale. Um, but we do get a couple of good reveals. One that some of the soldiers, interestingly, not Bucky, got the the tesseract guns. Bucky has a regular old gun that feels like he's been somehow short shrift. Oh, well, <laughs> we're going to talk about that here in a sec because I've got I've got information. And then it goes up and we see it. We see that he that they also captured a tank, a Hydra tank. And it's awesome. We get the the Hydra weird Hydra logo pass uh, to confirm that is they've stolen a tank. And so slowly but surely you get they get this reveal over the course of, you know, 40 seconds of how many uh, soldiers Andy had to count. 
<laughs> yeah, this is presumably the tank that Dum Dum Dugan and uh, Gabe and Fallsworth yeah. uh, drove out with. So, um, and then behind that, of course, is like a, it looks like a uh, a truck that probably just is full of troops and stuff. So, I mean, they they have a few vehicles, a lot of guns. Uh, to your point, Pete, I do have to call out, this is something, you know, as one is wont to do when you're doing a show like this, you poke around in the Marvel wiki once in a while. Are there multiple and, versions of the of the Tesseract gun? Is that what you're about to tell me? Well, what I'm going to tell you is that they, they have named them also. <laughs> oh. So the, the Tesseract weapon that we've been enjoying, this is the... Um, the big weapon powered powered by the Tesseract battery. It is actually called the Arnimulation 99L assault weapon. <laughs> Arnim, get it? Yeah, Arnimulation. Yep. I don't get it. Could you explain it more thoroughly? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say it just even slower. Arnimulation. <laughs> so that is the Tesseract weapon. Now, what's interesting is the other weapon that you were pointing out also is designed by Emil or okay. for, by Arnim Zola. It's not just a standard gun. It is actually the Zolinator 2000X assault rifle. <laughs> Zolinator. <laughs> I want one. Wow. <laughs> Every kid puts it on their Christmas list, I'm sure. Right. The Zolinator 2000X. <laughs> so does uh, Red Skull have to approve these names? Like is he is Arnim Zola just like kind of like Hey, do you have those names for like, um, I, yeah, here's the paper. Can you sign it quick, please? <laughs> yeah. He's got his palm, it's called, it's like, his palm over whatever, it. Whatever, doctor. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I like Move to think along. that this is the sort of paperwork that, that Red Skull doesn't look at. And Arnim is just like, oh, this is awesome. They're all going to be my name. <laughs> are there other, are there other fantastic guns? It's just those two. Those are the okay. two guns that, that they have. The vehicles I was hoping would also have fun Arnim related names, but unfortunately they don't. Yeah. This is just the, the mini tank. And then it does look I, like I can't tell exactly back there if that's a truck that's full of people or if it's the Hydra armored personnel carrier, which is another vehicle that they did have that looks tank ish, but also looks like it could fit a whole bunch of people. Yeah. Tank ish. Okay. Tank ish. I do like how um, I think costuming did a really good job with the people coming in. You know, the, as far as them looking kind of battered and tattered and things in their clothing. Yeah. Because, you know, sometimes you have period pieces and people don't really look that must up or anything. And so I think they did a good job at that. Yeah. They made the guys roll around a bunch. Yeah. <laughs> they fittingly yeah. look like people who could have been held as prisoners of war. They're all kind of must mm -hmm. up and dirty from that and being held in the little cages. And also have been walking through the Austrian and Italian countryside for a day to a week. Yes. Somewhere in that range. <laughs> yes. As far as the costuming, um, barring any like real world logic or anything like that, I'm just wondering what the purpose would be. Uh, Bucky seems to be the only one that has dog tags visible. And I was just curious if maybe you guys thought maybe that was like some kind of movie language telling us something. But maybe he was the, the one closest to death or, you know, something. I don't know. Yeah, that's that... a great note. Well, I, that's a, actually an interesting point. Well, it's interesting that Hydra didn't seem to mind that all of the troops that they were holding just stayed in the clothes that they had, you know, regardless of how rugged they were. You know, some of them look like, uh, you know, you know, rugged soldier outfits that, uh, I don't know, they might have stuff in them that you don't want the soldiers to be having if they're prisoners of war. 
Bucky, I suppose, looks like the one who's wearing the least, or at least, I mean, that, that, you know, exposed chest with the dog tags. I guess what that says is he's the one who had been uh, strapped down for, you know, uh, Zola's experiments. And so perhaps uh, there had been, you know, things attached to him, as we saw when Steve uh, rescued him. So I guess, I don't know, it's, it's, it's kind of a, you know, there's not a whole lot to it, but that would be my biggest guess is that, you know, he had been the one who was being experimented on. Mm. Also, he looks completely nonplussed this whole time. And even in these next couple of minutes, he seems completely, I don't know, we don't see it in this minute because nobody says anything. But over this whole week, we kind of see that Bucky doesn't really care for Captain America. Or, or I, his reaction is really weird. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to tomorrow's minute. <laughs> There's a little more uh, with him because it's it is strange. Like the yeah, and also I mean this is Bucky looking um, haggard again. You know when it was very strange um, in last week's minute during the escape, he looked pretty haggard when Steve rescues him, and then interestingly, as soon as he gets across the. Um, uh, the the beam over to the other side and is you know calling for Steve. Suddenly he looks clean shaven and crisp. And I don't know <laughs> where the barber was over there, but somebody was able to clean him up right quick to get it that was shot. freedom. You know he got to the other side. It was, <laughs> it, was the, it was the shaving of freedom that happened there. <laughs> I will say I the internet does not have an easy answer as to why no other soldiers have dog tags. But Sebastian Stan did post a close up picture of his own movie prop dog tags. And they say James B. Barnes, uh, and then a long ID number, T41420-3092 Stuckton Road, Shelbyville, Indiana, which I am looking up hmm. right now. Um, <laughs> because my favorite thing in the world is finding out if where, what is the closest thing uh, that they have in, and I don't think it probably exists. Yes, indeed, it's a farm. It really, no, it doesn't. It's in Frankfurt, Kentucky. That's where Stock Stuckton Road is. That's nowhere near it. All right. Waste of time. Back to well, the that's podcast. peculiar, though. Like, why <laughs> Why Indiana for, for Bucky? I don't know. I don't. Oh, because it's, I don't know, because it really is I-N. I thought maybe I'm reading it, and it's supposed to be Shelbyville, New York. Is that like the director's hometown or something, or? Yeah, maybe it does. It says R. There is an R. Barnes. Maybe that's nearest uh, relative. It says R. Barnes, and then that address. So it has his name, and then his ID, and then R. Barnes, and then Stuckton Road. So I wonder if the, I. I obviously, obviously, don't know how dog tags work, but maybe this is like next of kin. Yeah, that's, is that what they put on there? I don't know what's on a dog tag. Um... It could be, because I did some very light reading on it, that dog tags were intended as, you know, identification, obviously, for a corpse or whatever. But then, yeah, it would make sense to have next of kin so they know where to send those dog tags. Right. That's that's interesting. Um, Today's dog tags, the Internet tells me, it includes the name, social security number. That's not safe. Army. No. (laughs) Blood type and religious preference. Credit card numbers. (laughs) Credit card numbers. Hmm. All of your passwords. T4140. <laughs> oh, blood type O. I think that's what that is. There's an O. Okay. So he's blood type O. And his social security number is 325-57038. <laughs> but that's not enough numbers. <laughs> no, purposefully one short. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. 
Okay. But does well, it say anything like no preference because or, or Catholic or anything? No, no, it just says T41 space 42 space O. I don't know what that means. I don't know, but I'm guessing the O. Uh, well, I, I don't know, because I'm looking at dog tags now, and, and usually it's like O neg or O with a little minus sign. Oh, so yeah, I don't have any would, of that. You'd need a plus there, or a minus. There to... is a rogue P on it. Like after the address, well, that could be... P, maybe it's Protestant. Or O, that could be for the O, O positive. Well, but they're but... on completely different lines. Like it goes Shelbyville, Indiana, space P. Well, let's see. 19, uh, the dog tags from the 40s um, contain a notch, which is used to position the tag in transcription tools. Medics use them to quickly transfer the wearer's information onto medical paper forms or burial records. The notches were usually called tooth notches by soldiers. Uh, so they change, uh, they change a lot over the years. I, I don't see anything specific about other information that was on them during World War II. Hmm. Okay. But, yeah. Interesting little, uh, very, very interesting, very peculiar little uh, rabbit hole we just went down for um, yeah. for a movie prop that we can barely see. <laughs> we but there barely it is. See. <laughs> That's why we're here, folks. That's why we're here. So this is not the first time we've seen Steve uh, in this kind of walking position. This is a, a, a nicely um, restructured moment that we had from earlier in the film during the musical montage when he is walking with some soldiers in front of a rear screen projector and um, just kind of as the director is you know making sure they don't look in the camera, all that sort of stuff. Uh, do, do you like having that sort of callback in a moment like this? How does that play for you um, when we saw that moment earlier? I don't mind cheesy stuff if it feels right, I guess. I don't, that's, that's one thing I really enjoyed about this movie, especially the first half, is the whole Marvel acknowledgement of cheesy costumes and stuff like that. Like, like how are you going to put Captain Marvel or Captain Marvel, Captain America in the Marvel accurate comic accurate costume and not look goofy. It's like, well, they do it and it looks goofy, but it's because of how they do it. And like, Oh, like the first time I'm watching this movie, I was like, okay, I like that. I like that a lot. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I don't mind the, the callback of, him faking what he's doing and then now he's doing it for real. Because it's what he should have been doing all along is out there doing this. Yeah. Damn that Colonel yeah. Phillips. I know. It's a real, like, it, it's got a lot of callbacks in it, right? Because there's one that it's a callback to he's doing the real thing. But two, it's like payback. It's callback payback. It's the pay callback where he also has to justify his existence in the uh, in the war. He has to rescue a bunch of guys that everybody thought were dead. So he's proving the authorities wrong uh, and and prove that this that his you know, a father figure who died in the act of creating him, like he's satisfying the creation myth that he has value in uh, as a savior of people. And I think the layers of all that actually, for me, really work. And of course, the layers under this music, I think, are extraordinary. Like, it's just it, it feels so good because of all those things, not just for any any one bit. It does. And, and I really like I get a humility vibe from Captain America in there. Like even when he pats Bucky on the back, it's almost like he's he's not even acknowledging. Well, I mean, everybody's cheering that they're all back, but they're probably also cheering for Captain America bringing them all back. But Steve is just kind of like patting Bucky on the back like, hey, they're cheering for you, buddy, you yeah. know, and stuff. And so he's not like, oh, yeah, they're cheering for me. And he's all just like proud, even if they weren't cheering for him. You know, he's not all proud. He's just it's like a nice, humble moment, I feel. 
And so I like that too. Yeah, there's definitely the feel through this this walk as they're kind of walking up um, uh, as people are cheering. It's it 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 feels. Uh, very much at this point, I don't know, the way I read it, very focused on just like, hey, they've rescued the the missing soldiers, you know, and like seeing all these people that, I mean, you didn't know. I mean, oftentimes in these sorts of situations in war, I suppose you would you don't know if they're dead, if they're being held as prisoner or what. And the fact that 200 men from the 107th had been sent only or less than 50 had returned. And here you see the return of so many people that you knew from your team uh, finally back out of the hands of the enemy. Uh, I can imagine the great relief. And so I, I really like that, the way that it's playing and and the way that, you know, it's, it's yeah, Steve's not marching in uh, in any sort of showboaty sort of way. It's just, it's just a march. They're just kind of walking them back. Uh, and I mean, we'll kind of talk about that some more tomorrow as far as you know, the delivery and how he how he responds and what he says to Colonel Phillips. But here, I just I like the way that it just feels like this is a group of men who are weary. They have been held prisoner. They've escaped. Um, some of them need medical assistance, but they're finally getting back into the hands of the good guys and able to, uh, you know, kind of rejoin their team. And I, I like the way that it plays. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to the point of like that, the structuring of it, you know, as there as Steve is walking in there with the men. I mean, it is interesting to me that it is designed so specifically as a callback to that scene earlier. If anything, as I think about it now, I, I think that probably the the film version that we saw earlier in the film makes less sense because, like, why would they have? I don't know. I feel like if they were doing a film about it, like all of those guys would have just looked like your standard issue American soldier. They wouldn't have had such unique looks and you know in our minds have led us to think oh there's a feel of the howling commandos here i mean it is a nice mm-hmm. nod but i, I like I, I think i prefer just seeing it here as they're kind of all walking in together mm-hmm. what do you what do you two think of uh, alan silvestri and his music throughout the film i like it um i actually kind of looked up i mean not that i did research i don't even want to say that but just looking up whether alan silvestri like moved on to the other captain america movies i didn't I wasn't really paying attention when the movies all came out, but, uh, but, uh, no, I like it. And I feel like, uh, there's always been this thing uh, on the internet, you know, that the Marvel scores are not rememberable, uh, all that stuff. And I still don't know that I could, if someone said Captain America, the first Avenger, you know, then I would like sing the theme. I don't know that I could still do that without just watching the movie, but, um, but at least when I hear it, I'm like, Oh, I know what that is. You know, it's not just, more filler or, or something, you know, this, Oh, that's the Avengers theme. So I guess it's part of it. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. it's like, no, that, that one I remember. Are there many that, yeah. Think about like, what ones can you call back if any? Cause that's, that is one of my struggles is the, the themes often aren't that memorable. Like when you hear them often, you're just like, Oh, okay. That's, that's Iron Man or that's Thor or the Avengers or Captain America. But like when you step away from them, like, None of them really stand out like a Star Wars score or something like that. Yeah, I think some of that is just because it doesn't like Star Wars. It seems like the music just carries you through the whole the whole thing. Where with the Captain America, it's it's kind of like the stinger. It's like, oh, I recognize that, but but I wouldn't necessarily recognize the build up to it and the the fall away from the stinger. There's definitely a difference in composition there. Pete, how does it work for you as far as the way that the score kind of walks us through this? this march into camp? Well, I'm, you know, I guess I'm in the bag for it. Um, I also find of, of the, 
the scores of the themes uh, of each of the character themes, uh, this one and the Avengers to me really, really stand out. Um, I, I totally agree with everything you're saying about the other ones that the Marvel ones don't tend to be that uh, memorable. At least, um, you know, if you get me started on Thor, maybe I could come up with it, but I, I can't right off the dome. But this one I can. And uh, I think it's it's perfectly of a time. It's got the the it, it's of the the place. It sets me in the the place of war. It feels like a heroic battle theme, um, it, like we've just won something that mm-hmm. is amazing, and it it feels really really good. Um, and and so yeah, I think I'm I'm more favorable for of this theme and find it more memorable than any of the others. Um, certainly the the Avengers theme, just because it's used in the in the main sort of stinger of the Marvel movies right now, I think is is probably more uh, memorable than this one. But this one is right up there for me. I love it. What would you say is easier to recall, the theme for this or Star Spangled Man? <laughs> Oh, Andy, now I'm going to be singing Star Spangled Man for a week. We only sang it for like weeks on on you. I know. (laughs) That was mean. As the the Star Spangled Man, uh, just thinking about the reality of superhumans mixing with humans, he's at the front of the line. Like, I just wonder as they're walking through, especially 30, 40 miles, like how many times... Did he kind of get lost in the walking and realize he was way ahead of everybody? He's like, oh, <laughs> it's hold back, hold sorry, <laughs> it's my march. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, again, it's it's hard to really say how long all of this has been. According to the wiki, everything is the same day. Like this, all the way through Peggy in the red dress at the whip and fiddle. It's all the same day. So they make it back to London, go through the whole thing, go to the bar. It's crazy what the wiki does. I don't know why. Yeah, I don't know if I agree uh, yeah, with wiki. I know. It's, it's kind of <laughs> loony. But still, I mean, they're marching. They've, they've got to go. Uh, they've got to find food to eat. You know, they presumably are going to need shelter if it's taking them days to walk. They've got a tank and some other vehicles. Are they going to need to get gas at all? Uh, and another question that I was thinking about, um, because, I mean, we saw when Schmidt and Zola left, it was just them. They left all of the troops behind. Did they kill all the Hydra troops or are do they also have some uh, some of their own prisoners? Mm. I mean, it's it's never, ever discussed. Um, but it did make me wonder. I, w- I would like to think that they actually captured some people and actually have some prisoners. Yeah. Here. Oh. If the prisoners didn't, like, eat their own cyanide tooth. Mm. and Good point. So it's debatable if they were able to <laughs> take any alive. I wonder. Yeah, see, that's, yeah. a, that's the thing about Hydra. Oh, yeah. If you have one guy that kills himself by saying, you know, strike me down, the, you know, other heads will follow. But if you have a whole troop that are all killing themselves, like, I don't I don't know. That's it seems yeah, I don't know, know how many others are going to I mean it's up. like a little bit of a spoiler but like l- later when they get Zola Colonel Phillips says you know like they haven't been able to he's the only one that Zola's the only one that they've been able to take that hasn't eaten the cyanide pill so I don't know if they would. I, I, I mean, that's a lot. Like, I don't know so for, for troops, for troops, <laughs> and also for troops who are left behind by their leader. 
with no direction. I mean, pr- maybe he told them, hey, if things go awry, meet us over at this other base. I mean, who knows kind of what the word was that got out to all the Hydra troops that were at this particular um, uh, factory. But still, it's like with those two gone, I mean, do these troops have any is is their loyalty so strong that they don't feel like abandoned by their leaders but they say you know what hey we understand we've got to do what we can to just make it to that base on our own and we'll meet you there when we get there i mean it, i don't know it just seems like a it seems like a strange system i guess it does but if they fought to the death and caps troops here they have all those weapons. Yeah. There's not all those bodies because those guns are to, like disintegrating the bodies yeah. and True. and <laughs> exploding everyone too. So if they fight to the death, I don't. I mean, if they're they were Nazis too, I guess they could be loyal. And there may not even be as many troops there because there were workers, you know, in the factory. Maybe they didn't have as many troops. Like Schmidt didn't have as many. I don't know. Well, here's here's the thing. I I'm I'm going to call my shot here. I think the open of the next Captain America movie, Sam Wilson is going to be sitting on a couch in a dark room watching an Attenborough-esque doc- documentary of cameras like documenting the the sea of just like rogue boots from disintegrated soldiers at this camp and they're going to cover it they're going to cover it it will be covered in documentary footage the massive loss of hydra life at the because it'll be a big kind of reconciliation with the use of cyanide in war that's that's what i that's what i think is going to happen so stay with me yeah yeah and it'll be called boots on the ground (laughs) (laughs) boots on the ground i gotta make a note (laughs) that's going on a shirt or something that is that is a dark path to have have taken uh, the next captain america film on the ground the the untold story story. of hydra's loss (laughs) (laughs) the film everyone has been waiting to see oh man all right. Um, uh, okay. Well, I don't know if I had any other questions or thoughts on this uh, minute. Do, do Does anyone else have anything to say about this, or should we close up shop and come back for tomorrow? No, not unless you were wanting to talk about Hodge coming out of his Hodge Lodge, oh. all confused. and <laughs> We should talk about whatever. Gilmore Hodge a little bit, yeah. Does, does Gilmore Hodge really deserve more from us? No, he doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't. What I will say about this, and this is actually a good question. I'm glad you brought Gilmore up. Um, I'm curious if this would have done anything interesting with his character as we get. I mean, we we have these reaction moments. Personally, I never noticed that it was the same guy from the camp when I first saw the movie. It wasn't until this process. I'm like, oh, okay, this is the guy who had been at the camp. Um, In the script, he actually, in this moment, finally recognizes Steve, and he says, Rogers? As a realization mm. that, holy cow, this is that puny guy from the camp all those, you know, months ago. Would that, does that give anything more to this character that would have helped? Or is just like seeing what we see of him, is this enough to kind of give us a sense of um, of him as a character? I, I, I don't know, because I, I just wonder, like, are we getting an actual character arc with him if it's so thin? I, I think it's weird. I don't necessarily want more of him, but I also think it's weird to actually see him and not get a reaction i guess yeah. i mean he 
there's a subtle reaction, but not like a uh, acknowledgement of that reaction, I guess, from him. He's just like, oh. I think you know. I, I think I would have liked it if, yes, seeing him say Rogers and like having that little bit more of a confused look. Otherwise, I just get the look of like, I don't know, everybody's out there cheering and like he's just finally realizing, oh, like, what? what's going on out here, guys? Like <laughs> He's super clean. Like, he hasn't done anything in battle. Yeah. Like, it's all he wanted was to be a tough guy. And he hasn't he doesn't have one bruise or one stain on his dungarees. <laughs> It's because he keeps right. behind, hiding behind trucks. Because he's doing he, so much shaving. <laughs> he shaves all the time, that guy. Maybe he's the barber. Oh, <laughs> he's got right. everybody all cleaned he's up. Hodge the barber. Oh, that's Hodge Hodge's barber. Lodge. And it's got a yeah. little spinning post. The barber oh, shop. You guys. <laughs> no, I, guess, I guess the one reason I would like a reaction is because we also assume, I don't think we ever see him in there, but. Captain America was just performing for this troop, or was that a different troop somewhere? That was this troop, and he's he's the first heckler. So okay, so he would have seen him, and just so I guess that it would have been nice to see a reaction to you know, like, oh, I've already seen this guy, yeah, and I've already made fun of him, but now this, and now I'm realizing who he is. Mm-hmm. But we don't really get that. No, we don't, and it, I don't know. I feel like they missed an opportunity with this character to use him as another example of. You know, we've talked about this a little bit of how how Steve, his character is really not the change character over the course of the film. He really kind of maintains his strength as a character throughout the film and is changing other people along the way, notably Colonel Phillips. But Hodge would have been another perfect example of a character to use to that extent of seeing him, this guy who you know, looked down on him and, and picked on him when they were in the the boot camp, only to now realize that he's, you know, actually out there saving people. And then it would have been nice to see, like, maybe he would have also then, you know, been one of the people joining the Howling Commandos and actually helping in some capacity. Like, you could have actually had a much more interesting character arc with him. And I feel like, I don't know, I just feel like they missed, the, uh, missed a good opportunity with him. Mm-hmm. And his heckle definitely should have been, wait till I get you in my chair. <laughs> you have firmly planted your seat in that yep. in the barber angle with Hodge. <laughs> uh-huh. is, but is this like a is this like a Superman thing though? Like, would Hodge not be able to cut Captain America's beard because of the? <sighs> oh, that's possible. I hope they cover that in the documentary. Boots on the ground. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. How does Steve shave? That's a good question. Well, he has the strength, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like. But does the blade? Does the blade? But, well, you know, you can always maybe it's vi- pull maybe out. Oh, my it's goodness. Vibranium. Pulling out your whiskers. That'd be horrible. Oh, it's a vibranium race. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. All right. Oh. Well, yeah. well, we have covered the gamut on this minute. Uh, <laughs> both of you, thanks so much for joining us uh, today to talk about Captain America. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Um, tell everybody what you're up to these days and where people can find the sorts of projects that you have been doing in the Movies by Minutes world. Yeah, like you mentioned, uh, the princessbrideminute.com. That's with the T-H-E at the beginning. Um, uh, that one is complete. And unfortunately, that's the only one I've completed because we did start <laughs> UHF 62nd with my good friend David Johnson. Um, and then life happened and, and COVID happened and, and, you know, we just haven't got back to it. 
And uh, this this is this is really this is a lot of work for anyone who hasn't <laughs> ever done any one of these things. Like, I applaud you guys for for doing this and letting us come on because this is the easy part of it. But UHF sixty second, we do have a decent amount of episodes out. Uh, we're covering the UHF movie sixty two seconds at a time. Um, and if you know the movie at all, sixty two might ring a bell. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> but it's it's been fun, and we plan sort of to finish at some point. Uh, but yeah, it's a lot of work and, and we want it to be fun. And uh, that's where we're at with that. Awesome. Yeah. And I just guessed uh, a long time guest because <laughs> hosting is a lot of work. <laughs> so so oh, I get to and guess. Because I, I did make notes on it. I don't want to forget that uh, for the military people out there, that's a uh, uniform hotel Foxtrot 62 nice. November Delta. That's fantastic. I'm glad that you pulled that. (laughs) All right. Well, check those uh, shows out, everybody, and uh, make sure you track down the other episodes out in the world where Tabitha's guested. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow to talk about the next minute of this film. So, Pete, thanks as always. And minute one of Boots on the Ground, the great untold story of Hydra's loss in Switzerland. (laughs) Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Spread the News by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show. <laughs>